So I want to talk to you about how you see this new year, and particularly how you see you in this new year. You know, how you see you is probably the most powerful thing in your life, probably the most controlling thing in your life. In other words, you can say, I know God can do all things, but, but I, I'm, I'm just tired and, and I'm afraid and, and I'm worried and, and I don't have any time and I can't afford, and I, you know, it's just not working. So how, how you see you can actually stop your faith from working even if you see God in the right way how you see you. God can say, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But if you say, but I got a headache and my back hurts and I'm 53 years old and I don't have time and my wife won't let me and my husband won't change. So it doesn't matter what God says because if you see you in an unbiblical way, you stop what God could do. Mm, I'm going to show you in the Bible. I see some of you Baptist folks looking at me like, <clears throat> I'm going to show you in the Bible. Let's start in Matthew chapter 6, and we'll talk about your identity and what you see for this new year. Most folks are just going to have another year, just another year, but some folks will have a new year. New opportunities, new horizons, new summits. What are you going to have? Another year? Just kind of like Groundhog's Day, the movie? Just do the same thing again? Or a new year? Go to a new place, live in a new way, experience new things. God said, every day I have new things for you. The mercies of God are new every morning. But if you don't see it, you can't have it. Let me show you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. Jesus says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, part of those foundational truths that Jesus teaches his disciples. And your eye is a controlling factor in how you live your life. Now, obviously, he doesn't mean your natural eye brings light into your natural body because that doesn't happen. But he's saying your vision will bring light into your life or it'll bring darkness into your life. So how you see, is the glass half empty or is it half full? Is life full of opportunity or just full of problems? Is there potential or is there just, I can't find a job? I can't find a boyfriend. Seven billion people on the planet, there's not one good man left. Right? Right? I mean, you have a choice of how you look at life, and what you see really is what you get. There's a subconscious thing that happens through your mind's eye, right, through the eyes of your understanding. Paul prayed for the Ephesians, and he prayed that the eyes of their understanding, 
right? That's your mind's eye, how you see life, how you think about life, how you believe about life. You look at life and say, man, let's go. We can win. I'll attack hell with a squirt gun. Or do you look at life and say, oh, I can't, I don't really feel, I'm a little, we better hold back. You know, the governor said to stay home. Yeah, thank the Lord, you have a good governor. My governor's demon-possessed. <clears throat> Actually, we have one of those governors that doesn't even need the devil. He's already negative, so the devil leaves him alone. No, I say that when I'm in Seattle, too. It doesn't matter. So, so through your mind's eye, through the eyes of your understanding, do you see life as an opportunity to win, to prosper, have good relationships, to live strong, excited life? Or do you just see the troubles and the problems and why it won't work, what you can't do, what you can't have? The world is working hard to keep your eyes dark. Because look what Jesus said. If your eye is bad, your whole being is full of darkness. So the world works hard to keep you dark. If you're a certain color, life is hard. A lot of people hate you. A lot of people don't like you. Prejudice, negativity. If you're a certain nationality, oh boy, probably not going to work. It's going to be hard. Government going to have to take care of you. We'll send you a check. We'll take care of you because you're not able. So the world is working hard to give you an identity, to teach you how to see you. In fact, in general, the politician wants to say, you really can't do anything, but it's okay because I'm here. I'll take care of you. I'm going to send you an unemployment check. By the way, it would be better to go to work and be paid half as much as what unemployment will give you because you are developing your vision, your skill, your energy, your passion, rather than listening and being taken care of by the world. But this is our struggle because the world is trying to teach us how to see the darkness, focus on the darkness, magnify the darkness, because if your eye is dark, your whole life is full of darkness. Remember the serpent comes to Eve in Genesis chapter 3, and the serpent says, did God say you can't eat of the trees? Because, because God is afraid you're going to become like him. Well, if Eve would have been thinking, she'd have said, we can eat all the trees except the tree of the knowledge, knowledge, knowledge of good and evil. And we are already like God. We're made in the likeness and image of God. So she could have grabbed the serpent around the neck and taken him over to Adam and said, Adam, this is a demon in our garden. What are you going to do about it? And they could have kicked him out on the spot. But instead, she believed the lie. Yeah, God's trying to keep me from something good. God's trying to hold me down. God's trying to keep me poor. God's trying to stop me from having fun. That's what a lot of people believe about church, you know. And, of course, she ate the fruit, and her stupid husband was right there with her. He ate the fruit, and they got kicked out of the garden. Notice the first sin had to do with how we see ourselves. God doesn't want you to see who you could be. And they bought the lie, and they sinned. Now, 
Matthew chapter 4, centuries later, Jesus comes to undo what the devil did. So remember, Matthew 4, Jesus goes into the wilderness. He's fasting and praying. He's ready to face the devil. The devil says, if you're the son of God, where does he start? His identity. How he sees himself. If you're the son of God, command these stones to be made bread. Now, Jesus could have done that. He, made, he multiplied food. He could have made bread out of anything. But what would have been the sin not making bread, questioning his identity, questioning who he was. Because remember when he was baptized, the father from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What was the first thing Satan said? If you're the son of God. You see, you come to church and you hear, God wants to bless your life. And by the time you get to the parking lot, Satan's whispering in your ear, why, if God wants to bless you, why is your husband so stupid? I mean, I mean wife. I, I mean neighbor. Right? We get these crazy thoughts, right? Pastor preaches on healing. God took your sickness. He bore your disease with his stripes. You are healed by the time you get home. Well, if God wants to heal you, how come your back still hurts? So the enemy's constantly questioning what God says about you. Constantly sowing doubts so that you question who you are and what God can do in your life. And many Christians think it's humble to say, I'm so no good. I'm so unworthy. Hmm? That's not humble. That's unscriptural. Jesus died for you. You are precious. You are valuable. Yes, you're a sinner, but you've been saved by grace, and now you're the righteousness of God in Christ. So if your eye is good, your whole life is full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole life is full of darkness. And you're thinking it's the pandemic and it's the Democrats or maybe the Republicans or the neighbors or the company or the man. And in fact, it's you. It's how you see you. It's your identity. It's like the mom getting on the airplane and they were walking past the first class section. And the little girl said to mom, mom, let's sit up here in these seats. These seats look better. And the mama said, we don't sit in first class. That's not who we are. Well, if that girl is strong, she'll grow up and she'll say, that's who I am. My parents may have been poor. My parents may have lived in darkness. There may have been unbelief and abuse and addiction and everything else in my family like there was in my past. But God said, I can fly first class. I'm going to believe what God said more than what the world said. Come on, somebody. What you going to believe? You going to believe what some public school teacher said? You know, Wendy, uh, we've been married 44 years now. Huh? 44? That's a good number, baby. 44 caliber. 44 years. And when Wendy was uh, in school, uh, some teacher said to her, you should accept the fact that you're, you're not a good communicator. You're, you're not a writer. That, that's not your strength. You need to find something where you don't need to communicate or, or write. 
Well, Wendy's traveled all over the world, taught in all the largest conferences, women conferences, all kinds of meetings all over the world, largest churches. I don't know how many books she's written. I wonder how much that school teacher's done. See, you can believe what the world says about you, and sometimes they don't realize it. They're just repeating what they were taught. It's not that they are evil. They're just repeating the negative because that's what they have. Or you can believe what God says about you. When we were young pastors, you know, our church was small and growing, and, and we were just going for it. And we had no support. We weren't in the denomination. We had nobody. I didn't even know Rick Godwin yet. And, and we were just going for it with all that we had. And we heard John Osteen say, I am what God says I am. I have what God says I have. I can do what God says I can do. And, man, we locked on to that. And we say we still say it today. I am what God says I am. Well, you're not very, well, I am what God says I am. Well, I don't think you'll ever, well, I am what God says I am. Well, who do you think you are anyway? I am who God says I am. If you believe you are who God says you are, then you can get healed and you can get a great career and you can prosper and live debt-free and have an influential, significant life, have a good marriage, have a great life. It's possible. But if you believe what the world says about you, you will have a headache, cramps, and die young. Well, pastor's not up to me. Well, who is it up to? God's trying to bless you. Satan's trying to kill you. You have the deciding vote. The world can influence, but if we'll decide to serve God, it cannot control. Right? Pandemics are a bummer. They can influence what happens in our life. And, 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 and sickness and disease and, and economic shifts, all those things can influence. But if we are who God says we are, they cannot control. By the way, Jesus was born into a government that wasn't free. It wasn't democratic. It wasn't trying to support the gospel. Jesus was born into a world of corruption and evil, well, pretty much like ours. But some people keep thinking it's their political party that's going to rescue them. It's their political leader that's going to save the day. It's, it's, it's the politician that's going to make a difference. You know what? What if you were born in China? Would you serve God there? If you were born in Russia, our friends are here, born in Ukraine or Russia, would you serve God there? I'm pretty sure Vladimir is not looking out for the Christians. Right? So sometimes we get thinking that it's the world that's going to take care of us. And we need to get the world to change. Waiting on the world to change. But in fact, God's waiting on you. And when you believe you are who God says you are, you can do what God says you can do. It doesn't matter what the world does. God starts working through your life. You start rising up above the circumstances of life, right? So your identity, you know, we'll go to the airport this evening to go back to the Northwest. What's the first thing they'll ask for? Can we see your ID? They want ID. They want identification. They want to see our identity. You can't go where you want to go if you don't have your identity. Policeman pulls you over. What's the first thing he asks for? Who are you? Let me see your ID. 
Let me see your license. Let me see your identification. This is what decides where you go in life, how far you go, how high you go, in the spirit even more than in the natural. Right? So if you don't have godly ID, a godly identification, a biblical passport, you're stuck. Why? Because you keep telling yourself you can't. Well, I just can't see how we'll ever get out of this debt. Well, if you can't see it, you can't have it. Because if your eye is good, your life is full of abundance, blessing, prosperity. But if your eye is bad, that debt just keeps hanging around. You know, it's an amazing thing. Um, we consider it kind of a miracle at our church back home. The group's building a government project and they're coming through our area and they end up buying all our church property. What it's done for us is made us totally debt-free and gave us finances to build a brand new sanctuary, maybe two sanctuaries. And I thought, how many years have I said, I am free from financial pressure. I live debt-free. I just believe it and I see it, and I never knew how God could do it. Because, you know, we built the big church, and we had all the financial issues that go along with it. But God said, I got you, bro. I got you. All things are possible to him that believes. Don't tell God what won't work. Don't tell God what you can't do. Just believe you are who God says you are. You have what God says you have, and you can do what God says you can do. And amazing things happen. Miraculous things happen because what you see really is what you get. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap right there. It's true. It really is true. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In verse 16, the apostle writes, From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's big. That's huge. We live in a world that wants to, to define everyone by their flesh. And our public schools are promoting new theories. A new theory, which is really an old theory that's been in the world forever. And the theory is, it's all about your flesh, your race, your color, your nationality. All these that are in the natural, your language, your family, your background, these are the controlling factors of your life. God said, nope. Nope. We regard no one according to the flesh. What does he mean? It's what's in you that matters. Your flesh is your body. You live in your body, but that's not the controlling factor of your life. Your spirit and your soul, that's what counts. He restores your soul. He empowers your spirit, and that's what defines how you live your life. Well, if I was taller, I could make more money. No, not with the brains you have. Not with the mindset you have, not with the vision you have. If your vision was taller, if your mindset was bigger, if you could see farther, man, then you can make more money. But it's not dependent on your flesh. Now, in the world, flesh is important, right? We see each other. We know each other in these natural bodies. But for the Christian, this is not how we define or identify. We regard no one according to their flesh. 
Now, throughout the New Testament, the apostle writes, in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither black nor white. There's neither male nor female. In other words, in Christ, your flesh doesn't limit you. Well, if I looked better, if I could get some cosmetic surgery, if I could just get more followers on Instagram, maybe I could win in life. Wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. A lot of people spend a lot of money on surgery and everything else to try to get their flesh in shape. Rick and I know people who take steroids and take all kinds of things trying to get their flesh to look a certain way. You look good and, and then you're dead. What happened to brother so-and-so? Had a heart attack. Heart attack? He's only 35. Yep, steroids. Trying to get his flesh to a certain place. Now, I think we should take care of the flesh, keep it healthy, keep it strong. It's like taking care of your house. You got to live in that body. Right? So you want to keep the heat on and keep the roof on and keep it nice. But it's the real you that really matters. And how you see your spirit and your soul is more important than how you see your flesh. I used to think when I was a kid, uh, I grew up, you know, uh, and being red-haired was not cool. Nowadays, it's kind of cool. You got red hair, you're a minority, you're cool. But back when I was cool, I mean, back when I was in school, it was red, red, wet the bed, wipe it up with gingerbread. It's crushing. No wonder I became a drug addict. There's all those bullies. There's all that hate coming at me. Carrot top. Hey, carrot top. So I had this in my mind. If I looked different, I could be cool. I could get the cool girlfriend, and then I could be a cool guy. I thought it was all about how I looked. Well, that is wrong. That's not biblical. It's not scriptural. It's what you believe. It's how you see life. If your eye is good, your life is full of light. But if your eye is bad, for whatever reason, you have lots of good reasons my parents, my hair, my body, my IQ. You have all kinds of reasons. But if your eye is bad, your whole life is full of darkness. So we no longer judge according to the flesh. We're going to see through God's eyes. We're going to see as God wants us to see. If the Bible says it, that's what I see. If I feel it, think it, anything else doesn't matter. I am who God says I am. So recently in our children's church, mom comes in and says, you know, uh, little Bobby's been coming to church here for some time, but I just want you to know it's not Bobby. It's now Roberta. He, he's not a boy. He, uh, she is now a girl. She identifies as a girl. Well, the Sunday school teachers are asked, why, why is Bob now Roberta? Well, because she desires to be a girl. Well, when you're four years old, you basically desire cookies, cake, and whatever anyone around you has. So who knows what's going on in the mind of a four-year-old? 
But mom has got issues. And mom wanted a little girl. So mom is now establishing a new identity. Now, mom will grow, and we believe mom will, you know, God will work with mom, and, and God will help the little boy. But how do you identify? Just what you want, what you desire? Your identification has got to be established on something more than how you're feeling today. Well, today I feel like a girl. I'm going to go buy a dress. Tomorrow I feel like a guy. The next day I'm kind of feeling in between. I'm going to wear a caprice. (laughs) Is it only what you're desiring at the moment? Or is it the way God made you and what God says about you? Right? We don't have to be critical or judgmental. We're just trying to help people see the life God has for them. And you have to believe how God made you is good. I don't need to be something else because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And what God says about me in the word is good. I'm going to go with that. I'm just going with that. And when you begin to build your identity in how God made you and what God says about you, you start winning. Your relationships get good. Your career gets good. Your finances, your health, everything rises to a new level. See, if, if you are seeing yourself as God sees you, and you go out on a date, you're a single person, you go out on a date, and, and this guy is abusive. He's, he's arrogant, he's worldly, he's abusive. You're out. Right? You excuse yourself to the bathroom, get an Uber, and goodbye. And he's sitting there with the bill going, where'd she go? Yeah, she's living on a different level. You stay with the abuser when you see yourself as one who should be abused. You leave the abuser when you see yourself as a daughter of God. Your identity controls your relationships. The guy calls you back the next day. Hey, where'd you go? Yeah, you and me, we don't flow. Now, if you'd like a second date, I'll meet you at Summit Christian Center Sunday at 11 a.m. Don't sit with me because you're crazy, but you should be there. Right? You see yourself as strong in the Lord, valuable, precious, blessed, favored. God is doing good things. You don't have time for crazy people other than to minister to them, to love them, to invite them to church. Right? But you live in the drama and the trauma when you see yourself as that person. So God says, see what I see in you. See the potential. See the promise. I made you fearfully, wonderfully. See yourself. And when your eye is good, your whole life is full of light. Amen? Well, you say, what happens if you married the crazy guy? Okay, well, now you got to pray for him. You know, now you're married. You got to pray for him. Let me give you two examples in the last few moments we have. Two biblical examples of what I'm saying. Remember in Numbers chapter 13, famous story, children of Israel is on its way to the promised land. Now, they've been slaves for 400 years, slaves for generations, 
living under the control of Egypt. But God says, you're free. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty. Let's go. And they marched out of Egypt and across the Red Sea on dry ground. And now they're at the border of the promised land. And they send in 12 spies. Now you need to choose your spies wisely. Because your spies are your eyes. Who you listen to. Who you believe. Choose your spies wisely. What station do you watch? What announcer? What broadcaster? What voice do you believe? Choose your spies wisely. I saw it on Twitter. Choose your spies wisely because your spies are your eyes. Well, you know, I was reading on Instagram the other day. Well, choose your spies wisely because your spies are your eyes. They go over, they spy out the land. It's amazing. It's beautiful. That piece of property just off the Mediterranean Sea has been fought over for thousands of years. It is better than Texas property. That piece of property right there. Well, they come back. Remember what happened? Ten spies. Oh, man, it's beautiful, but. It's great, but. The Lord is good, but. There's big cities, but. The giants, but. All the problems and their big but got in the way. Right? Don't let your big but get in your way. I know the Bible says, but. Well, Pastor Rick said, but. Everybody knows what's good, but puts the butt in there when they don't want to follow it. Well, two spies, remember? Caleb and Joshua. Let's go. We be well able. God is with us. This is our land. We're going to have our own farms. We're going to have our own businesses. We're going to have our own cities. We're creating our own country. Let's go. Two spies said yes. Ten spies said no. So you know who the majority followed. Be careful who you follow. They may keep you in your wilderness. Well, you need to be aware now because, you know, the virus. Be careful. You know, those other conditions, you know, you, need to be, you better stay home. There's no good jobs out there. Unemployment. It's okay, though. We'll take care of you. Who you follow. Who you listen to? Who's the spy in your eye? Well, Israel stayed in that wilderness 40 more years. Look in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 33. Here's why most people stay poor. Here's why many people stay sad. Here's why many stay sick. Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. We saw giants, the descendants of Anak, who come from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. We were like grasshoppers in our own sight. That's what made the difference. How you see you decides whether you get your own house or you live in the wilderness. Whether you start your own company or you go to a job you despise. 
whether you live free from debt or you live under the debt, how you see you. Well, Pastor, I can't see how that makes any difference. That's the problem. You can't see. Well, I can't see how this is ever going to change. Yeah, well, as long as you can't see, it's not. My friend looked up at a beautiful house one day, and he said, Father God, I can't imagine living in a house like that. And the Holy Spirit said to him, that's why you never will. You got to see it, church. And sometimes I just practice seeing that home or that church facility or that ministry or, or that financial. I just, what would it see? What would it look like? What would it feel like? How would I talk about it? I just practice seeing the promises of God working in my life. If I was healthy, how would I act? If I was happy, not that I am because I'm depressed, but if I was happy, how would I act? One time I said to my spiritual father, Julius, when I was a brand new Christian, I said, Julius, I don't think I can live this Christian life because I can't imagine never getting high and never getting drunk. And, you know, I can't do this Christian stuff. I can't imagine it. He said, Casey, if you were a good Christian, what would you act like? Well, about two years later, I went back to him and I said, maybe I can. He said, never forget, if you were a good Christian, how would you act? In other words, see what God says. See what God wants. See the promises of God. And one day, they'll all be working in your life. I'm practicing now. It's been 45 years. If I I'm not really a good Christian. But if I was a good Christian, how would I act? If I was prosperous, how would I act? If I was healthy, how would I act? If I was a great church member, how would I live? If you start seeing what God sees, what God promises, you'll rise to that level. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit will help you, strengthen you, empower you, and move you along. If your eye is good, your whole life is full of light. Judges chapter 6, God said to Gideon, Hey, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. You remember where Gideon was when God said it? You should read your Bible, Judges chapter 6. The Bible's amazing. Gideon was hiding from his enemies, struggling in a bad economy, poor, broken, afraid to lose his family, fear, anxiety, everything negative in Gideon's life. And God said, Hey, Gideon, you are a mighty man of valor. I am what God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I'm going to have what God says I have. Gideon started to believe it. He chased the Midianites clean out of the country. Those Midianites will take over, right? The Jebusites, the Amorites, the Termites, and the Parasites. All the ites will run your life unless you believe, I am who God says I am. I'm a mighty woman of valor. Sometimes it's not easy, right? We've had to face the cancer diagnosis. Wendy got the phone call. Just over the phone, the doctor said, yep, you got cancer. Oh, thanks. She put the phone down. We got together. And we, I said, Wendy, 
we overcome. Wendy said, I believe I'm healed in Jesus' name. We had to face the hepatitis C, and when we faced it, they said there's a 4% chance that you'll be free from this. There's a 96% chance you'll die young from hepatitis C. And I said, I'm going with the four. We'll overcome. Well, that's how long? 13, 14 years ago, and I've been clear for all these years. You are who God says you are. You have what God says you have. And sometimes it's not easy to see it and say it. But if you will, your eye is good. Your whole life will be full of light. How's your identity? How's your passport? What do you see when you look at you? You are who God says you are. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.